Welcome to Encast, the podcast from EnOps. Each week, we'll explore the world of cloud cost management, the latest in AWS optimization, and getting practical about your FinOps journey. Join us as we dive deep into the latest trends, tools, and best practices, while having conversations with leaders and luminaries who are innovating on the front line. Our goal is to provide value to the community through insights and practical advice that will help you to achieve your FinOps goals. So whether you're in engineering, leadership, finance, or a cloud professional, this is the place for you. Sit back, relax, and get ready to join the conversation on NCAST. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of NCAST. Uh, this is a very exciting episode for us here today. Uh, we've teased it a little bit that this is going to be our All Things Carpenter episode. And to to join us for that conversation, this is also very exciting to me. I've, I've got Young Jung and Andrew Park, who are Partner Solutions Architects from the Service Acceleration for Container Services team. That's a mouthful uh, over at AWS. Guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll take things off. So yeah, um, thank you for having us. Uh, my name is Andrew Park. Uh, I'm one of the senior partner solutions architects here at AWS. Um, and a lot of my focus is on exactly how we talk about containers. So uh, really working with all things EKS, ECS, and really all the services that kind of support that ecosystem. Uh, but making sure that our partners and customers are kind of following the best practices when doing so. So again, thank you for having us on. Really, really excited to be here. Cool. Welcome. Um, hello, everyone. I want to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, where you're at, <laughs> or wherever you're listening to the podcast from, uh, and thanks, James, for, for hosting us. My name is Young John. I am also a partner SA here at AWS on the service acceleration team. I think our team is technically called the uh, app modernization because we cover containers and serverless. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a partner SA, I mean, my roles are pretty similar to what Andrew does helping our partners integrate or create solutions or product, improve their product with our uh, containers and serverless services. I cover both. So that's why I had to throw the serverless in there for a little bit, but essentially be that the trusted advisor between our partners and and our service team so that we can kind of coexist uh, in a symbiotic way, provide services and solution that and the ultimate goal is to benefit our customers so that whether it's us, whether it's AWS, whether it's the partners that's driving that success, we're all aligned in that goal. We keep, we, we help our partners drive that to success. So I know I spoke awesome. a lot, but essentially I do the same thing as Andrew as well. Awesome. Well, well, thanks again for joining us today, guys. Today we're, we're talking about Carpenter. Um, you know, I, I've been building on AWS my capacity leading engineering teams for, for uh, you know, leading engineering teams for longer than I'd like to say, older than I look, <laughs> and uh, building on, on AWS for, for over a decade now. Um, I, I was lucky enough to, to start building services in, in a cloud-native world, uh, and so I, I watched container orchestration come on the scene and, and, and launched our first service on, on AWS that was in the Mesos marathon ecosystem. Uh, and then, 
Yeah, yeah. When when there there was still the the container orchestration wars going on, um, I started to hear about Carpenter, you know, in the, in the last two years, and and we started to look at it very seriously as a team, you know, probably about a year and a half ago when we were thinking about our our advanced scheduling technologies, you know, vertical scaling, horizontal scaling, and, and some of the 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 new technologies that that have come onto the scene. Can you just, for, for everybody out there, start us out with a basic, what is Carpenter? Yeah, uh, I can kind of take that off. So before I get into that, I think it might be helpful to kind of think about um, this particular phrase I'm about to give in the context of the conversation we're about to have. Um, because I think one misconception that I see a lot with customers is that they don't treat the application as the first class citizen. It's usually backwards where they try to have the infrastructure be the first classes and the application try to fit into whatever the infrastructure needs. But when you think about containers and really just any of our workers, not even EKS, but ECS as well, um, you have to think about it in that context where your workload is the main priority and everything else surrounding that workload needs to be able to support those particular requirements. And this is a, this is a misconception that I feel of customers. And I think when we talk about this in the context of Carpenter, this will start making a lot more sense. So. For the folks listening um, to this podcast, just keep that in mind that as we continue this discussion, that the application needs to be the first classes and not the other way around. And when you think about it in that context, Carpenter itself will actually make a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, so basically Carpenter is basically the open source product that was released by our services team um, to address being able to scale clusters based on workload requirements on EKS specifically. And when you think about something like cluster autoscaler, cluster autoscaler is more of a general kind of open source tool for all kind of distributions Kubernetes, where Carpenter is definitely much more focused on EKS, right? Um, so the idea that with Carpenter um, is Carpenter basically manages the instances directly without having to use things like node groups and autoscaling groups. And really the, the main key here is that it brings scaling management closer to the Kubernetes API. Whereas when you think about something like cluster autoscaler, it really, really, uh, heavily is dependent on things like autoscaling groups and having to deal with things like managed node groups in order to appropriately scale, right? And so when you think about the phrase that I just kind of gave out, it's much more focused on understanding what the workload is and then scaling appropriately based off that. And I think as we kind of continue, as we continue the discussion, I just want people to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, it seems like we kind of have to go through a mental shift. I mean, we, we yeah. went from, from the data center era and then we all became uh, comfortable with autoscaling groups. And so when node groups came on the scene, it, it felt like a comfortable model for us. Um, but but then, you know, with, with container orchestration, at, at any given time, our, our workloads may, or the, the workload requirements that, you know, the, the pods, the containers, everything that needs to be scheduled may, may have a unique set of dimensions. And so what, what you're telling me is, is that the carpenter is really decoupling that that infrastructure layer and, and being so focused on what instance type that fits you know a a, a very rigid um, node type selection and and it really frees you from from having to think about a lot of things, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Because um, even with things like cluster autoscaler, like if you take a look at the source code, um, it doesn't really understand like the the true concept of like an AZ, for example, right? And so that's why, for that reason, it's kind of a manual process and that you kind of have to set up those auto-scaling groups and manage node groups ahead of time so that cluster auto-scaler can then talk to those things and then scale appropriately, right? 
Whereas with Carpenter, that's not necessarily the case because Carpenter actually understands things like the different instance types. It understands all constraints. Um, really the things that you would need to appropriately be able to scale your workloads on EKS. And so I think that's kind of an important call that a lot of people don't really think about is Carpenter is such, it's just a better product by thing because there's less things you have to worry about, right? Um, and also when you think about it in the context of even just being able to define the specific instance types that you want Carpenter to provision based on your scaling requirements, like that's huge, right? Um, and so, yeah, definitely a big fan of Carpenter. <laughs> right, right. And so I think Carpenter comes with, with a lot of presets even. I mean, to, to get started with Carpenter, it, it seems like you, you don't really have to to think about a lot of those things, it, it, it's best just just to see how Carpenter behaves to to become a believer, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it this way too, it's like it's kind of like relationships in a way. Like Carpenter just really wants to understand your needs and your requirements, and then kind of scale based off that. So, I mean, if you really think about it that way, like that's really what it's doing. It's like, for example, like if I have a workload that needs to run on ARM, right? Um, Carpenter will do everything in its power to understand that specific request, and then bring up an instance that that's ARM based for that particular workload. Whereas with uh, cluster autoscaler, a lot of that ends up becoming a manual process. And so I think that's why it's so important for folks that are looking at Carpenter, really just Kubernetes in general, to kind of shift that mindset, right? Like it's application first, and that's exactly what Carpenter does. I want to understand everything about the actual workload itself and then scale based off that, right? It also feels like Carpenter takes advantage of a, a lot of built-in goodness in, in AWS. I, I think about the the way that it, it interacts with Fleet um, and 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 a lot of spot spot scoring that 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 Amazon provides out of the box. Is that one of its true superpowers? Is is the native integration with, with different AWS services? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll let them take that one. Yeah, so. Essentially, think of it as, how do I put this the right way? A step that you skip when you compare it to cluster autoscaler. So we've talked about you know, with an autoscaler, there, there's this intermediate step of node groups, which then, you know, acts as a, a scaling mechanism for your cluster and using the uh, scaling group and configurations and things like that. Whereas once you deploy Carpenter, you're able to, you know, and based on the configuration that you set, you're able to top straight to the EC2 fleet. So there is a bit of a latency slash performance gains to be had when you're using Carpenter versus Cluster Autoscaler. And we can kind of dive into different parts of what makes Carpenter stands out versus uh, Cluster Autoscaler. Well, before we get there, why don't we talk about some of, from your perspective, the primary problem that that face EKS users today or EKS users face today what 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 are some some of the top categories that they might look to a solution like carpenter to to address yeah I can kick that one off um I think the first one that initially comes to mind especially uh you know today's market is is cost management right like you know kubernetes in itself can be very expensive, especially depending on the workload that you're trying to run, right? So I think cost management, cost allocation ends up being a really big, uh, really big pain point for a lot of customers, right? Just because when you think about EKS and the ecosystem that surrounds that, there's a lot of things to think about. And more often than not, those things that surround 
the EKF ecosystem costs money, <laughs> right? And so really just trying to understand like where people can save on cost when they're running EKS ends up being a big one. And then the other one is, um, I guess like infrastructure automation or management in that, you know, it's not hard to spin up a cluster. It's everything else that comes after that, right? So like what mechanism can we leverage today to kind of bootstrap that process where I can kind of build out a blueprint and say, hey, like every cluster I deploy needs to come with things like Cert Manager. Um, let's say uh, Stellium for my CNR. Uh, maybe I want to use something like, uh, like Carpenter, right? Like ideally, especially in the era of like platform teams, the better we can kind of automate this process for platform teams and alike, um, the better it will be for customers because that ends up being a pretty big pain point. It's like, hey, like I'm spending all this time trying to get all this operational software up and running the cluster. So that how can we automate that and make that a better experience for customers, right? So I think those would be the two things I call out there. Okay. All right. And, you know, I, we, we have a pretty good sample size uh, of, of AWS spend to, to kind of analyze. And, and obviously, um, that the biggest portion of EC2 spend, we see it happening in our customer base. And uh, the, I mean, the, the percentage of what I call EC2 unmanaged is quickly being eclipsed by, by what I call EC2 managed. And, you know, the, the dominant expense of, of EKS, you know, we think, oh, it's going to just be billed on, on an EKS build, but, but it's all EC2, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you hit it right in the nail. I mean, EKS is backed by EC2. Naturally, most of the spending comes from EC2. This kind of goes back to the earlier point that Andrew mentioned. And it's kind of all intertwined in a way is, you know, how do you make auto scaling or just kind of instant spend more efficient and more performant and therefore, you know, make it more cost effective. I think one of the things that we could think about is ensure instance being well utilized. That is indirectly uh, affecting your spend. For example, are your nodes being underutilized because you have some limitations as to how you configure your auto scaling mechanisms? I think this is one of the points, one of the powers I would say of Carpenter is, mm. I think we call it Carpenter, I don't remember the exact phrase, but it's like in right sizing, node scaling, or something to that effect. It's this idea that we want to make sure we're provisioning the right type of instances for your workloads, again, going back to workload is should be your first class citizen. Kind of this idea of being able to right size the instance that fits your workload. Therefore, you're not you're not provisioning as many instances. You're utilizing your instance to the full effect. Therefore, reducing cost. So there's a lot of things that are kind of working together to make this whole wheel spin in the way that you want. Got it. Interesting aside, so we recently over at NOPS built a, a dynamic auto-scaling feature, automate, automation feature around auto-scaling groups. And we were doing resource utilization analysis around auto-scaling groups. And we started to find these auto-scaling groups that, that had, uh, you know, the desired capacity, you know, 40, 50, 60 nodes desired capacity or uh, in 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 the auto scaling group and we were seeing percentages of the those nodes that that were giving leading indicators of actually being idle up to 40 
50%. And when we went and did uh, a closer analysis, what we found is that many of those autoscaling groups were, were actually EKS node groups that, that were under cluster autoscaler management. And we started scratching our heads saying, that's not how Kubernetes is supposed to work, right? hundred <laughs> percent, right. <laughs> right, right. But we, it was just like, we were just looking at the data going, what the heck is going on with these autoscaler groups? And we thought, oh, we could just tune the, oh, wait a second. These are not regular autoscaling groups, right? I always like to say a node group is just a, a, a sort of autoscaling group uh, masquerading as, as a EKS node group underneath the hood. They, they can look like the same thing. Sure. So, you know, that, that definitely was a forcing function on, on my side to, to say, we, we have to start looking at, at solutions like Carpenter to think about doing this differently. We see such a high percentage of our customers who are, are under a huge amount of pressure to cut costs. And they've got these fleets of nodes that are just sitting there doing nothing. Right. So, uh, definitely let us down this road to the Carpenter for sure. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to the, the whole notion of being able to puzzle it correctly would be the phrase I would use. You know, from a cluster autoscaler or autoscaling perspective, you're kind of limited on, you know, choosing the right instance size and, and maybe your workload doesn't quite puzzle it incorrectly. So then you have to, you know, provision another node or provision another instance. Whereas depending on how you configure your carpenter, you could, you know, you can select the right amount of instances or instance families, or you can leave a bike and let the carpenter do his magic of determining workloads, you know, what the request might be, and then just sort of let it play some touches, you know, find the right instance that can fit all the workloads to minimize the number of instances that you have. Like you said, you know, I've, I've done some of my own research and I'm, I would highly encourage those listeners out there that are that are thinking about Carpenter or using Carpenter to do their own performance. So at the end of the day, we're talking about workloads. Workloads are different depending on you know who the customer is or or who you are or what you use it for. And make sure that you're you know it's a two way street. You can do some things to to uh, to optimize things on the Carpenter side. You obviously have to do some homework on your end to determine the right size for the workloads. But when you do that, we've seen that, you know, things like you see from your end, you know, 50%, 60% utilization, all of a sudden goes up to, you know, 80%, 90%, some even at 92, 93, 95%. So that's sort of the uh, the, the performance gain or the efficiency gain that you see from, from Carpenter. Right, yeah. Go ahead. I oh, sorry, yeah. I think uh, Young brought up a good point uh, when, you know, we're talking about make sure that you're using this appropriately for your particular requirements and your particular needs, right? So I think it might be helpful to kind of give almost like an overview of where sometimes Carpenter may not be the best fit, right? I think it's kind of important to lay that ground so that the folks listening to the podcast kind of understand like what they should be thinking about while they're doing this testing, right? They were to hear folks, you know, <laughs> that, that yeah. juicy stuff as they say. <laughs> yeah, right. so when we think about Carpenter, right? Like. Carpenter is basically removing a layer of AWS abstraction, and then it helps to kind of bring almost like this level of flexibility that's directly built into Kubernetes, right? So the way I like to think about it is, I think Carpenter is best used for best used for clusters with workloads that 
might have like high periods of spiky demand or have like really diverse like compute requirements. Um, and when you think about it, like when you think about like managed node groups, like auto scaling groups, um, those are really good for clusters ranked workloads that tend to be a bit more static and consistent, right? Like if you have workloads where you can kind of like almost predict the uh, the usage or, you know, if you, if you don't anticipate there's going to be a ton of spikes um, with respect to the particular workloads themselves, um, like you could argue that cluster officer might actually be a better fit for that particular requirement, right? Um, and if with that said, uh, with Carpenter, you have so many different ways that you can kind of customize the way Carpenter runs in your cluster. And even if you look at even just like the the many annotations that you can provide for your deployment files, like it can be a lot, right? So really like just want to emphasize like for the folks that are listening, like really understand your workload requirements, do the proper load testing, do the proper benchmarking. And from there, like you'll have a pretty good idea of like which one you should use and which one would be better for your use states, right? Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to call that out just to make sure that people understand at least that part. For sure, for sure. Well, I mean, I'll implore people to keep staying tuned uh, for for upcoming announcements because we're going to start talking about our NKS. We're calling it NKS, folks. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll announce it here first. Uh, Lodge, which we like to think about is Carpenter and 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 Ops working better together. And one of the things that that we've learned, uh, and and again, we 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 process over a billion dollars of AWS customers spend through through the platform and, and help them to to optimize um, all of that. And you know, the one one of the things that that we've realized in in this endeavor is that these tools are often pretty cluster centric. So I I would assert that that there are possibly use cases where where you wouldn't think about migrating to to Carpenter. But if you start to think about workloads that, that happen outside of your EKS, even if your, your EKS is pretty static, uh, there is an opportunity for, for Carpenter to compensate for, for things that have changed outside of your environment. Say you've got savings plans that are being burned down. Uh, say, say that you've got RIs that, that are underutilized. You know, that uh, uh, Carpenter is so flexible that that you can retune the provisioner and and start to compensate for for things that that happen at an, not even at just at an account level uh, at a, at an organization level. So you know, I hope to hear that 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 increasingly there's going to be more and more use cases where you were thinking about Carpenter, but but your your environment is it's so dynamic in so many ways that the customers that do have those more static workloads can can start to ship things in and build some balance in their environment. With that, you know, I, I see three, you know, big headlines. If I go to the, the Carpenter uh, open source website, uh, three big headlines, improved availability, lower compute costs, minimize operational overhead. Um, and and I may be leading you down down an interesting road here, but but tell me about how Carpenter improves availability because I I think that might open up some some interesting uh, discussions. Yeah, I mean it, we we could go in a number of directions. Um, versus you know with the granular, uh, excuse me, granularity. And what you can you could configure your your carpenter provisioner or the way your carpenter is set up, you can you can start to consider things like you know multi AC by the by the requirements that you set. You know these are th there's ways to use case native uh, features like 
nodes selector, affinity. I mean, these are pretty standard KS operations. But you can do things like AC, this, this type group, and it doesn't just lend itself to availability of the zones necessarily. There's also things like if you're using spot instances, Carpenter allows for quicker retries just in case that, you know, when you first try to secure a spot instance and you're not able to, it can do a much quicker retries. We've actually seen that a lot to be the case for some of our customers. So availability could mean a lot of things in that sense. And obviously you'd set things like uh, RI and and, and um, savings plan that, that you could kind of incorporate as part of your carpenter. And this is where it gets from single provisioner to multiple provisioner. And, you know, that obviously adds some complexity to it. But I think that the, the idea here is once you get the hang of how a provisioner works, and what sort of choices are available to you. I think it's really easy to not replicate, but create a different provisioner that fits some type of workloads within your, your cluster or your system that lends itself to more availability or more types of availability that, that you can have based on, based on your requirements. So a little bit of upwards and com complexity, but I think the payoff or the gain is much more significant for the time that you have to put in to get everything working. Well, I'm definitely. I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, you right did. You felt you fell right into my trap. Um, I, I was <laughs> hoping that that you were going to bring spot up, right? I, I hope that that was going to be part part of the conversation. So, one thing that that we know again, and going in analyzing customers who are trying to use spot and seeing how successful that they're being with spot, especially if we don't see any carpenter in their environment, right? First thing I do, uh, if, if there aren't EKS, I go and look for tags, right? And, and I'll, I'll say, all right, we've got K8 tags. Uh, sometimes I see spotted tags. Sometimes I, I see, um, carpenter tags in there. And then sometimes I, I see this, this blend of, uh, I, I have K8 and I have spot, uh, but, but I don't see anything that, that, that leads me to believe that, that there's any sort of what I consider to be like effective spot management going on, which my head goes straight to cluster autoscaler. They are using, uh, you know, EKS cluster autoscaler and, and sort of bootstrapping that, that, or, you know, the cobbling to together features to, to leverage spot with cluster autoscaler. The other thing that I can tell you is that if you go and do analysis and this, no offense, I mean, I encourage people to, to try all of these options, but most of them aren't doing spot very effectively with cluster autoscaler, or they're frustrated beyond all get out trying to do spot with cluster autoscaler. So the, you know, leading into to the next discussion, a lot of, of organizations out there are trying to figure out how to do spot effectively. There's a spectrum of solutions on EKS and spot, but a lot of them are starting to land on Carpenter. Why is that? I'll let you uh, start, start off and then I'll, I'll, uh... yeah. So I think we kind of go back to this idea of two things. One, we kind of already talked about, well, I guess I we technically talked about both. It's just the flexibility and efficiency. So 
the fact that you're able to directly talk to EC2 fleet mm-hmm. is a very powerful tool that a lot of people don't realize. It's where, and it kind of ties into number two of flexibility. So I think I briefly mentioned, obviously with provisioner, you're able to set you know spot versus on demand or both. C6 family, or I'm just throwing numbers out there, but M5, C6, you have these different ways of restricting what you're looking for in terms of different configuration requirements within a provisioner. Or you can let Carpenter do its magic. You just leave everything blank. Obviously, you got you got to set up a spot. And Carpenter is built to be able to utilize and and in an optimized way of selecting spot that you don't actually get from other ways of orchestrating your your upscaling uh, capabilities. Now, the inner workings or the engineering of that, I'm not privy to, but that's how we have seen it. And that's how we see it from the team. That's how we have tested. And, and we encourage, like I said, we encourage everybody to kind of test things out. Make sure it fits your requirement, but that's just sort of like the key point of how Carpenter uh, is able to fully utilize its power to optimize spot selection. Sure, sure. And if you're just here, but oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, no, you no, might yeah. have been going this same direction, but be no, the first. Yeah, I think one other call up that I think makes Carpenter a much better candidate for spot utilization is the idea that it can handle spot interruptions natively. Whereas with cluster autoscaler, uh, it is not possible. Like you have to do that at basically the autoscale layer or the managed and ogre layer, right? And so I think that the fact that it's a native feature within Carpenter uh, makes Spot a much more feasible option for customers running the EKS. And so that's the only that's the only other thing I wanted to come out to that. Sure. No, I think that native support again. We're getting to a a fully integrated framework that that takes advantage of like all the the native support. You know the the fleet integration, the the spot termination handler, and then you know because of fleet, if you don't know what what fleet does, I mean, the spot is is very good at asking for for the the cheapest possible, or excuse me, carpenter is very good at asking for the cheapest possible thing. It's not available. It's going to go down the list because it knows the exact dimensions. It just really broadens your ability to to play the spot market. Right, because it's it's going to have this broad swath of, of instance types that 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 might be suitable for for the exact workload that's trying to be scheduled at any given point. Now, I I, I think that that uh, but incorporating tooling that 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 probably takes other parts of, of the spot market uh, in, into account. That that's going to be another thing that that we see. But you know, Carpenter is also very open, so. Uh, there, there's a lot of, of incentive for for the community to to continue building and 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 sort of extending capability on and around Carpenter. Um, yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's a community driven project, mind you, AWS created it. Sure. We're also we're also we're always getting you know collecting feedback, and the, as the product, I mean, the product is getting to its maturity level. Can't tell you where it is. I mean, it's still kind of early in its inception, and we're t- still taking feedback. There's there's a lot of community action, and with that, there's a lot of community asks. And obviously, it does a great job of spot, you know, spot interruptions or or spot handling. 
there's still some edge cases that, that we see and you know the team is always taking feedback to figure out how to engineer so that we're able to make it more more efficient going forward and this isn't just for a spot there's different things uh, one of the biggest things that that the customers are asking is different types of church detection so you know isolated nodes what happens you know can we automate AMI upgrades for source nodes from certain provisioner. What happens when you change provisioners? Can it, you know, go downstream and kind of re regenerate or reprovision some of the existing nodes? So that's one of the things that we see. There's other. I'm sure there's other feedback or, or feature requests that the community has put. So it's really a community-driven effort, or at least we would like the community to kind of get involved. And it's great to see someone like NOPS implement it into their offering or their product. We yeah. love when we see this in action from others. Well, and that's what's so upsetting for us. A, we've got a tremendous relationship with AWS, right? That That's number one. We we feel like we have so much support from, from both the, the AWS internally, that, you know, the Carpenter community is totally open. And we're excited about investing in a lot of these things that, that folks are talking about, right? We're, we're excited about sort of organizational level, you know, turning on that, that NOPS engine that, that, that is already optimizing and tuning commitments for, for our, our customers, and then integrating all of that data and those decisions into provisioners so that we can help our customers to, to make the most optimal decisions for their workloads, right? Spot termination detection, right? Uh, De re really innovating and, and advancing spot termination detection because I think what we hear out in the field is that the the number one objection to 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 moving to to a solution like Carpenter plus Spot is fear of spot termination. Uh, you know, I I think a lot of that fear it is unfounded. EC two computers can can disappear at any time. No offense, they're they're highly available, but that that they are computers, right? Like com computers fail, and and that's sort of like why why we we moved to solutions like like e EKS to to begin with. Um, the other thing that that we're talking about and where we we're going to contribute a, a lot of IP is in the area of workload reconsideration. Right, I I made a decision at any given point, and I I heard you sort of hinting at that, uh, that that at that moment that 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 decision what was the most effective, but spot markets change, demand goes up, my my own resource utilization across other EKS clusters or even other accounts in in my same organization will change, and so. We're excited to to contribute there. We're going to be talking week after week after week about this stuff, um, but I I kind of want to dial us in to one of the biggest questions because we're again from the field. We're talking to customers every day, and and the common theme that we get from our very EKS centric customers is that they are talking about Carpenter, right? Like. At almost every engagement we go into, it's like, we talked about it last week. We talked about it the week before. And they all have their own unique set of problems that, that they're trying to solve. But but everybody is looking to this generation of technology because they know there are advances, optimizations, you know, reliability improvements, uh, you, you name it. There, there's just a lot of advantages to it. 
but then the the question that that comes up and the fear that comes up in in every case is hey my eks workloads are pretty stable they scale pretty well um my my engineering time it, it, you know my product management is is asking me to build new features daily they're they're not asking me to think about frameworks like carpenter so there there's a big um conception that 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 migrating to carpenter is going to cause them to, to have to devote a lot of, of engineering resources to you know this this migration and so i want you to to talk us through you know how easy is it to to take my my existing eks workload and and, and migrate it to carpenter i mean it's it's just like any other deployment remember carpenter is simply a deployment or you know installing i guess for lack of a better word into your eks cluster it's just like any other resource you you would now there are some configurations to be done you know iron rules tech subnetter security group you got to update your config now these are normal things that you would do whether it's cluster auto scale or you know load balancer controller or or carpenter in this case and the only difference is obviously if you're migrating from cluster auto scale to Carpenter, you just want to do all the setups and you know decommission or depermission all the nodes through through cluster auto scale. But I mean, there's not any extra steps here that you would need to consider in order to move a workload from cluster auto scaler managed node group to a Carpenter managed node group. And I think another thing I would like to add, and I think Andrew mentioned this. Probably at the towards the beginning of our of our show here is, and this goes with all sorts of things that you you want to do with EKS cluster. Is automation is key, and these are things that could be automatable. I don't know if that's a word. Easily automated. Let's put it that way. There you go. So just think of it. I, I like it as a word. I like it. As yeah. Well, again, it's all automated. You heard it here first. like. This is automatable, just like everything else you you do when you're thinking about EKS provisioning. Uh, obviously, there might be some you know extra steps into your automation that that makes this a bit complex. But I don't think enough to have to think about oh you know you know committing resources or committing time, taking away from you know true core business value uh, development that that a lot of the customers might be worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going through that, that journey with, with a lot of NOPS customers right now. And, you know, again, I, I, I think the, the common, uh, theme is like fear and time. And so, so the, the reward really has to be worth it for, for engineering teams to, to sort of look at an existing workload, but we all understand how, how the tech industry is today. You know, I, I think that the theme for 2023, every AWS event that I go to is, is how do I help my customers to, to save money? I've, I've heard it all the way across the board because uh, budgets are tight. We, we know where the industry is at. Um, so the, the, the conversation becomes increasingly less driven by, you know, how many nines did I deliver? and increasingly more driven about how do I operationalize around cost optimization, which is why I think 
Kubernetes, or excuse me, Carpenter is like one of the coolest tools out there to talk about. Um, well, we've been at it for for a while here. We we've uh, covered some 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 major ground. Um, guys, what what parting words would would you have for for the community out there that that's listening and and thinking about uh, taking the plunge or taking a closer look at Carpenter? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll kind of kick that one off. So. I, it's kind of like what I said at the start of this, call, uh, this, this podcast is remember your, your your workload, your application is number one. Everything else that you do after that should be supporting that particular workload. And I think that's something Carpenter does really well because at the end of the day, if you think about what Carpenter is doing, all it's trying to do is understand the workload's requirements. And based off that, it will then act appropriately based on what that workload actually needs. So as you're doing your load testing, as you're doing your before start marketing, just keep that in mind. Like, you have to be able to do these things first in order to make like real effective use of something like Carpenter. Because if you don't do these things ahead of time and you don't really understand the requirements that your workload actually needs, then it's kind of, it's going to be a not so fun process <laughs> trying to configure Carpenter. Because if you don't know your workload requirements, then you won't really know how to set up Carpenter, right? Because with Carpenter, there's so many different annotations that you can add based on your particular requirements that if you don't know those requirements in the first place, then Carpenter ends up being kind of hard to use, right? Um, the other thing I would want to call out is that automation is key, once again. Um, so the the more frameworks and approaches that we as a community can kind of come together to build, the better experience it will be for anyone really just trying to use Kubernetes or EKS, right? Um, like Young mentioned, like Carpenter is very much so um, an open source product and very much so a community-driven project as well. So if there are particular features that are not available at Carpenter today, we highly encourage you to submit those issues on the Carpenter GitHub page um, because those things are reviewed very, very regularly. Um, and the product team is very committed to making sure that they are trying to address all of our customers' needs. And the last thing I would say is um, Young and I actually are one of the maintainers for the ETS Blueprints project for the AWS CDK. And in that, we have uh, created uh, basically reference architectures, if you will, like codified reference architectures that will allow you to basically use Carpenter and all of its features using the, the AWS CDK. So we would highly recommend all the folks listening to the podcast check that out as well. But like I just said, the better ways we can automate these types of things, the better experience will be for people trying to use EKF things at like Carpenter. So I think those would be the the three things that I would want to uh, kind of uh, end with. Yeah, I guess uh, I'll add a couple of things here. Um, you know, obviously, Andrew just mentioned workload is key, identifying what you have and, you know, how you should be utilizing Carpenter is a huge key in making it a, a su success. Having said that, it does open the door for the art of the possible. I mean, let me just name off a few things. You know, you may have a, a mixture of workloads that has the architecture, ARM versus AMD. You know, you may have workloads like machine learning, uh, data data intensive workload that might require GPU. You have things like quick versus long running um, workloads. These are all kinds of different types of workloads that can be utilizing different provisioner within your carpenter to kind of separate things out. Therefore, you're controlling efficiency and performance gains across the board of all your workloads. Now you may just have one type of workload, that's also fine. But we've seen that from an enterprise or you know bigger customer use case, 
we see different types of workloads that lends itself very well to using Carpenter to kind of utilize all the capabilities that it has. And one of the interesting use cases that we see is, like I just mentioned, we're seeing an increased adoption of data-centric workloads, staple, uh, staple workloads around yeah. analytics, yep. processing, AI, ML. Uh, we have a project called Data on EKS. Highly encourage you to check it out. A lot of its components are around things like EMR and EKS or you know different types of open source tools that customers are using on, on EKS. But what we're seeing is all of these are trying to, or we have reference architectures to use Carpenter for our faster scheduling or different kind of provisioners for things like drivers versus executors. If we're talking about big data workloads, it even works with some custom scheduling tools like Unicorn or Volcano, if you've heard of those tools. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of exciting things that are happening and, and Carpenter's kind of at the front, forefront of those projects. Now, it does come with trial and error. Some we do support, some we don't support, some we've seen that the community has been able to successfully implement it. So like going back to uh, Andrew's point, this is a community-driven project. So we highly encourage you to kind of push your boundaries and see what you can get out of out of Carpenter. And the last point I'll make, I don't want to make this too long for, for all the listeners out there, is if you are afraid or if you're scared, I think that's one of the things we talked about. You know, start small. Kind of see, you know, small part of your workloads, make a decision and see how Carpenter works. I know we talked a lot about Carpenter over cluster autoscaler, but as we said, there there might be workloads that are suited for cluster autoscaler, to be honest. This is not a session to like push everybody into Carpenter away from cluster autoscaler. Right. Again, going back to the whole notion of work know your workloads, how it works on Carpenter and make or determine the best choices that you can make. And I think this is where somebody like Enops could come in with their their product to kind of help you make that decision easier. Right. Yeah, that's really what we're here uh, to do is to help engineers to take action, right, and and to automate those things to so so that uh, the engineers can can really focus on innovation. You know, my takeaway here is sort of the crawl walk run. Uh, that that's what what I'm hearing. Or, or I think about the, the FinOps journey, which is like in, inform, optimize, operate. And it always comes back to that inform stage. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about using the vertical pod autoscaler to to go through and, and just run it in in the uh, no update mode to so, so that you can start to to um, profile your, your requests and your limits so, so that you can get your, your pods right sized, you know, in, in a quick fashion. It's, it's always that, that informed step, like doing the work to know your workload. We, we hear all day about analytics workloads. My workload is staple. It runs a long time. I'm scared about termination, all of those things. But it seems like Carpenter has a lot of support and, and that's where, where the community piece comes in because you are not the first one that 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 has run into to this issue your workload is not unique we're, you know we're all doing it we're all hearing the same things and so if we work together we we can leverage the, these technologies to, to really push the limits of, of what's possible in efficient and optimized computing well guys andrew young it's been great 
Like this was the coolest conversation. Uh, I can't wait to get this out there. Uh, hopefully, you know, you guys are welcome on anytime. We're we're going to be announcing NKS here in a couple of weeks, and and so maybe there's like a whole other conversation to to be had ar around that the the sort of landscape of of optimization and 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 how the things that you do outside EKS impact what what decisions you make in TKS. Anyhow, that's it for, for EdCast today. Uh, if you're still listening, you're probably as nerdy as us. So thanks for sticking <laughs> with, with us. We get really excited about this stuff, as you can tell. So hope you join us next time for another interesting conversation. Goodbye for today. Thanks, everybody. For sure. Thanks for tuning in to EdCast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. As you can tell, we love to geek out on all things cloud optimization. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, or just shoot us an email at ncast at nops.io. If you'd like to learn more about the continuing innovation over at nops or about our free synops platform where you never pay anything unless you save money, check us out over at www.enops.io.